All right, so I'll record now. Um, okay. So what do you want to be, like, named, like, referred to? Oh, I can pick a name. Like, uh, if, if, I don't know if you want to use your real name. Uh, yeah, uh, Sonny. Sonny, okay, cool. So I'm here with Sonny. He's my uh, fraternity brother. Uh, just a little background on how we met. Uh, me and my pledge brothers started um, a chapter for Epsilon Sigma Fraternity at AESU in uh, 2010. And then when did you run into us? I think 2014 so or Facebook, 15? So um, yeah. I was brought to my attention that we had a chapter at ASU. Uh-huh. And um, I wasn't aware of that, you know. I, I really was so out of the loop because it had been like 25 years. Yeah. Since I had when did you crossed cross? over. Yeah, when did you cross? <laughs> Na- was it nine? 1991. 1991. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, so it was a little bit. It was a minute. A little, yeah. A bit, yeah. So then, um, I knew that ASU had a like a, a camp, like a campus downtown, and I mm-hmm. knew that I think a couple of brothers were taking yeah. classes there. I was told there was a brother in the West Valley, which yeah, a professor. I think right. Is oh, that not talking? Jaime. I know you're talking about oh, Jaime. Okay. He was he was the he was the alpha class, the class before mine. Um, no, there was an actually ASU brother from from I, I believe your chapter from uh-huh. ASU that was living in the West Valley, but I never did get a you know a chance think, to I think who might be to to talk to him. Yeah. But then, um, I, somehow I got in touch with you. It was like through Facebook. Yeah, yeah. Someone from Davis knew you, and then uh-huh. I sent you a friend request or something like that, and then we started messaging each other, and you told me about you guys were having a pledge event and just whatever. And that's yeah, yeah, I yeah. Um, yeah, so then you've been, hey, what? Was that 2012, 13? Uh, um, I want to say, yeah, probably like 13. I, yeah, yeah, so then... Yeah. We've been we've been hanging out ever since. How long were you in Arizona? Because you're not you're not from here. You're from mm. so I'm from the Bay Area. Yeah. Well, originally, if I go back further, I'm from the Fiji Islands. But I came to the U.S. when I was three, and then I grew up pretty much in the Bay Area for thirty years. So I came in '73, and uh, in 2003, I moved out to Arizona. Uh huh. Originally, I was doing an externship or for culinary school. Oh shit. Yeah, I went to the Cordon Blue program in San Francisco. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. My family, they had a hard time accepting that because, <laughs> I mean, I was a teacher. Uh-huh. I had a master's degree. Uh-huh. And I was to the point where I was kind of burned out with teaching. And um, my mom and dad were like, you're going to use your degree and you're going to go learn to bake cookies? Like, yeah, what the yeah. hell? But um, I did my externship. Uh, so part of it was to... You know, in order to graduate, you had to do practical work and everything. So I ended up doing an externship at the Wigwam Resort in Litchfield Park. Okay. Beautiful resort. Kind of funny being an Indian guy and, like, working at the Wigwam, <laughs> right? No pun intended. <laughs> yeah. So that's what brought me out here originally. And then plus the fact that once I moved out here, I mean, I knew nothing about Arizona. Yeah, yeah. That tumbleweeds, cactus, you know. I, it's pretty, yeah, when, when people show Arizona on TV, it's, it's rocks. Yeah. And a lizard. Like when you see the Suns games, they'll show the, it's just one cactus. Right. And then, and then a building. And then when you go to a New York game, it's buildings and taxi cabs. Yeah, I totally didn't realize like how sprawling, like how huge Phoenix yeah, it's was. it's really it, wide. It reminded me of like LA's baby sister. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Somehow. Yeah. Except there's no water. Uh-huh. I mean, no, no ocean. You're right. right. But um, it took a little while to get used to here. And I think mostly it was 
the politics. Because mm-hmm. growing up in the Bay Area, well, San Francisco and the Burbs is very liberal, mm-hmm. right? And and so coming out here, it was it was almost like moving from a blue state to a red state. Yeah. At the time, um, and I had been newly married, so it was well. When it's not newly married, it had only been like about a couple years, but. I wanted to get to know my wife on my own terms with her because part of my arranged marriage was that uh, I stay, I move back in with my parents. Okay. <laughs> that was yeah. an adjustment to yeah. be living with your parents, trying to adjust to someone you don't know and dating someone you don't know after you've married them yeah. and, you're and still then not having your privacy, uh-huh. living with your parents was weird. Yeah. Uh, what? Uh, so you're Indian, right? right? Um, did you... I know definitely with me being Asian, it was always, uh, they were really strict. Oh, so yeah, when yeah. you talked about how you switched to, to cooking, um, I was, my mom was, you have to be a nurse, Michael. Be a nurse. <laughs> and I, I didn't want to be a nurse. And my older sister's a nurse. My mom was a teacher. And then she worked with, um, she was some sort of a nurse. I wish I knew now. Uh, my two younger brothers are engineers. Right. And then I'm I'm doing I'm doing theater. Yeah. And so uh, <laughs> it was always I always felt like the black sheep. Um, yeah. But it, it was always it was always very strict. I couldn't have girl I couldn't have girlfriends until like way later. Um, so did you face that too in the Indian culture? I did, and it's interesting you brought that up. So like in high school, I was a good kid. Uh-huh. Uh, you know, uh, after school, instead of going and playing sports, I would go to the library and do my homework. Yep, yep. And I was a pretty good, solid student, actually. Um, that's because I had no life outside <laughs> of school. But um, going on to college, it was great because here I could start fresh. No one really knew me. I didn't have to be in a clique, you mm-hmm. know. Um, joining the fraternity was a great opportunity to just to meet other people from other backgrounds and you know with our fraternity being so diverse as it was that was kind of the draw for me yeah. at the time um that being said of course being in a fraternity we did mixtures with the sororities and stuff uh-huh. like that so that gave me an opportunity to meet girls yeah as well right like outside of just yeah, yeah. the dorms and whatever and that was great and my mom would say to me you know we don't want you dating any girls don't worry about it We'll arrange your marriage when you get done with college. And by the way, if you do find a girl, well, what I, I actually was dating a girl, this a Mexican girl, and she was from the sorority uh, LSG. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. She, she was one of those. And um, well, so my mom's like, why can't you find someone of your own race? <laughs> yeah. Literally straight yeah. up came out and told me that. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. So finally... I went through a few, though, so there was this one Indian girl. Um, she was actually related to my cousin's cousin, so it was like two cousins removed. Okay. It was so weird. Like, So my mom's first cousins... I'm going to have to draw this, draw this out in okay. my brain. Right, <laughs> so my mom's first cousin okay. was married... Right, so uh-huh. this would have been that married person, so like it was her sister's daughter. Okay, so, so it's it was not no blood, blood related right, right. at all. Okay. So me and her, like, we sort of kind of knew each other because we had one mutual cousin and, or a couple of mutual cousins in common. Yeah. So we'd see each other sometimes at things. And she went through an arranged marriage. She got married really young when she was like 18. 
um, got divorced a year later, no kids, nothing. Um, I believe, I believe she had to get an abortion. I'm not sure what happened on her end, because mm-hmm. uh, the guy she married was like really horrible, and I don't know from what she told me. Yeah. Anyway, so me and her kind of sort of hooked up, right? And my mom's like, you can't be with her because she's family. But she really wasn't. Yeah, te- yeah, technically. Technically, yeah, she really yeah. wasn't. We weren't blood. So that was girl number one Indian. Girl number two Indian that I tried to hook up with. Um, I was going to hook up with this other Indian girl. Um, well, actually, the story goes that my photo was somehow being passed around. <laughs> that happens yeah. a lot in the Indian community I, in arranged marriages. Did, did they have you a collection see, of photos. Did you see the big sick? Yeah, so it's yeah, just, it's so just I was gonna, like okay, that. Cool. It's just I, like the big sick. Yeah. So like with me, yeah. So somehow my photo got passed around to some girl up in Vancouver, British Columbia in Canada. She was into white dudes, but she said, he's kind of cute. So she gave it, she wanted to give it to her cousin. So my my mom's cousin, Indians have big networks, they have okay. family, intervenes and calls me one Saturday night. Hey, I got your photo. Well, I want to be sure if it's okay for me to pass it on to her cousin. She's into white dudes. But her cousin might be into you. But her cousin doesn't live in Canada. She lives in Seattle. And um, from what I know, the family's pretty nice. And they're planning to come down to California. Mm -hmm. A, is it okay if I give her your picture? And B, is it okay if I give her your email address? Because that was before, like, Facebook. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was like, "Uh, yeah, sure. That's fine. Whatever. So her and her family actually came down to California. They And I'm Indian, but from the Fiji Islands. And so Fiji's a pretty small place. Everyone kind of knows everybody. And it turns out that that family was neighbors with my mom's other cousins. Okay. And so they were visiting some other family down in Sacramento, but happened to go to my mom's cousin's house because they knew them for being neighbors back home. So they came over. Me and the girl hit it off. Like, she went to UW. She had come here when she was like 10. Um, she was kind of like me in the sense that we she had kind of like grown up Indian, but it was also very American in a lot yeah. of ways. She wanted to go on to grad school and, and, and get her degree in psychology. So she was a really, really cool chick. And we hit it off. We did exchange phone numbers, email addresses. I was a teacher at the time. Yeah. I taught down in Fremont, and I remember Fridays I would leave work. I'd pack everything the night before Thursday, and I would just take the I-5 and drive up to Seattle. Uh-huh. Friday night, I drive all day, all night Friday, get there like early Saturday. It was like a 12-hour drive yeah. from the Bay Area. And I'd get there early Saturday, I'd check into some hotel. We'd spend all day Saturday together. And then I'd leave like Sunday afternoon and I'd drive all night. Yeah. And I'd get home like early, early Sunday morning, uh-huh. sleep maybe a few hours, and then go back to school. What the shit? Well, you know, that's, when you're younger, you Yeah, that's that. true. Yeah, now I, I'll get like... Five hours of sleep and it's not enough. Right. I'll be fine. I need coffee. So that's what happened. And so long story with that. Well, long story to make it really short. My parents didn't like her. And not because there was anything against her personally. Um, they said that because our family was Brahmin. We're Hindu, Brahmin, whatever. Okay. And in the Hindu system, the they have a caste system. Mm-hmm. And though in India, a lot of people may have moved on. They still look to that in the villages and a lot of like uneducated people but Indians who were who left India like the Indian diaspora who live outside of India when they came from wherever villages or cities they came from from India back 
during the colonial days. Uh-huh. They hung on to certain things in the culture. And the caste system is something they really hung, clinged on to. Okay. It was partly how they you know, kept their identity. So for me, my mom was like, well, we're Brahmin. They're not. They're like really, really low caste. We're like top of the totem pole. They were like the very bottom. Yeah. And then my mom said they were, this is horrible. But she said, and she's really, really dark. So if you marry her and have babies, you're going to have little darky babies. Okay, so darker skin was seen uh, kind As, of looked down upon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just, I, I don't know why my parents were like that, because I'm not that light. I mean... Yeah, no. We're, yeah. I mean, I've been living in Arizona for a minute, I get that. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, she was probably a shade darker than me, and I didn't really have an issue with her cast. I didn't have an issue with her skin color. But it was, it was such a big deal to my folks that they said if I married her, they would disown me. And, you know, it was it was just a lot of unnecessary drama looking yeah. back but so then she asked me to man up and uh, ask for her hand in marriage from her dad the dad wanted to know straight up why the parents why my parents didn't want her mm-hmm. oh, I shit. just didn't have the heart oh, to shit. tell them because right. I, that was not how I felt and I wouldn't I didn't want to hurt their feelings in any way well yeah so so what did you say so so I kind of danced and danced around it. I had to. Uh-huh. But I think they were smart enough to kind of figure it out. So he, being the way he was, he said, well, look, I only have one daughter. And if your parents are already having issues with her now, you know, I, I just can't I just can't give her away in a family that's not accepting her. So mm-hmm. that was the end of that. So this is the, when these are like two chicks that I actually really, really liked, you know, and yeah. then. They hooked me up with this third chick. It was crazy, man. This third chick who had happened to have eloped with her brother's best friend. And Whoa. the brother's best friend was Muslim. Okay. And so it was like a big deal like in the culture at the time. Oh, my God. The Hindu girl elopes with a Muslim guy uh-huh. and he deflowered her. Yeah. You know, whatever. Yeah, so yeah. my parents were really adamant that, oh, my God, she's not a virgin. And she ran away from home. Mm-hmm. Like they found all that out after we were engaged in court. And then... We had a court marriage, or no, we got engaged and we had a court marriage and we ended up getting that marriage annulled because when rumors started coming out, my mom's like, no, we can't have that. Oh, okay. So my dad's like, yeah, we need to find my son a good virgin and there's none here in America, so we're taking him back to the motherland. <laughs> so you went back? I went to Fiji uh-huh. with my mom and I was teaching at the time, right? So it was uh, it was during, um, it was right before school started. Um, I remember going back. And I met literally 10 how, girls in one how, week. How old are you at this point? <laughs> like 30. 30, okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I had yeah. been putting off marriage all that time because, of course, I wasn't sure, like, you know, I, I kind of wanted to be able to f- do it on my own terms. Yeah. But I still wanted to kind of make everyone happy. Yeah. You know, I was that I was that son. Yeah. That wanted to do that for my parents. And so there's I was I was really conflicted in a lot of ways. So at one point I just said, you know what, I'll just go with it. Because I've known people that have gotten together, shacked up, mm-hmm. and still it didn't work out. Yeah. You know, once they got married. Um, so yeah, eight, uh, no, ten girls in one week, literally. It was really, really rough. Like we'd sometimes just show up to their jobs and everything. And sometimes we'd just show up when their parents would invite us. How did we know about these ten girls? When we went back there, um, somebody's... Um, you know, when we were staying with my relatives and stuff like that, someone said, oh, so-and-so's got a daughter, so-and-so's got a daughter, uh-huh. and then we just, like, tell us, go here, go there, whatever. 
Wait, so wait, can you tell me what, uh, so would you go to a Starbucks? Like you said you showed up at their job. Yeah, no, like just one, say, like one hey, worked at a bank. So okay. one worked at this bank, like it was called ANZ or Australia New Zealand Bank, which is, there's a bunch of them in Fiji. And she was, I don't know really what she did. I thought she was a teller or something, but she might've been something else. I, I can't remember now, but we literally went up into the break room. Uh-huh. What and, the fuck? <laughs> and like we're having this like interview in the break room. You uh-huh. Know? And she was kind of interesting. She said, well, you know what? You can keep your America. I don't want to come to your country. She's like, I'd much rather go to Australia. Yeah, yeah. I think she'd been kind of abreast of the politics in America and everything. Oh, and shit. she was like, nah, you can keep your America. Yeah. I don't want to come. And then, but the ones that had, I had gone to who had their parents there with them, which was most of them. Um, there was only one, a few that were like where I'd just see them in the offices, but my parents would be with me. Um... So the, the the ultimate goal was to come back to America. Well, the was ultimate that... goal, I think, well, for them was to see me get engaged at least and, mm. and, and, and have a girl, you know, or a girl or a bride rather, um, you know, and probably figure out the wedding details later. But it was like a bad Bollywood movie, man, oh, because shit. every parent, the fathers especially, would always ask the same three questions. Uh-huh. First question they would ask would be, so, are you a U.S. citizen or a green card holder? Uh-huh. That was, like, the most important thing for them. Right. Should have just said I was a it's green a card holder just to mess with them, but I couldn't lie. Yeah, I just yeah. said I was a citizen, so their eyes kind of lit up. And then second question out of their mouths was, so how much money do you make? Mm-hmm. That was, like, really important to them. And, again, I was a teacher. I taught in public school. In the Bay Area, and though Bay Area probably pays a little better than the majority of the U.S., it's still a very expensive place, and the cost of living is high. Yeah. So what you made back there, I mean, the year I was teaching in Fremont, I made 36000 back like in 1998, 97, uh-huh. which sounds like it was really good money for then, which it was, but again, I'm living in the Bay Area. It's, so yeah, higher cost of living. I was paying 2000 a month in rent back then. <gasps> okay. Excuse me. Oh shit! So anyway, yeah, it was. It's always been pretty expensive. Yeah. So you got to figure it out. Like, well, I was pretty much still on a budget, even though I was considered doing all right for back then. Right. So I guess they did the calcs in their head, and they figured this guy, you know, he's he's doing all right. Well, the one I ended up marrying, her the dad would ask me, "So what do you do?" I go, "I'm a teacher." And he's like, "What university or college do you teach at?" Uh-huh. I go, "No, I teach little kids, like fifth graders." And he would just like look at me, you know, throw his brows and just go, oh, that'll do for now. Like, oh, seriously? Yeah. Like, you're trying to judge me without yeah, knowing? It's not a transition. This is my job. This is what this I what do. It, yeah. Right. And he had no idea what it's like to have 30 plus kids in a oh, classroom. Oh, man. Yeah. Right? Fifth graders. It's, yeah. On top of that. Yeah. So um, I knew right from the beginning, just the way he responded, like, uh, we are not going to get along, mm-hmm. him and I. So his daughter, right, comes out all dolled up and everything, push a bra on and, Uh you know, making her look like Uh something she's not, which they were basically trying to convince me to get with her so that they could, I was their ticket to America. Mm -hmm. And eventually I knew that's what was going to happen, but just the way that things unfolded later on was kind of, it got really ugly. But he introduces me to her. She brings me some tea and some snacks she allegedly made and whatever. Then sends me to a room to talk, just like how you and I are talking. Uh huh. We're gonna get married after this. So I, <laughs> so I hope, hope you better let okay. Serena know. <laughs> I think she might be cool with it. If, 
So basically, I'm sitting in a room with someone I don't know, uh-huh. a total stranger. I'm talking to her, and she's just nodding her head yes or no. I'm like, hey, do you talk? She's like, I do. I'm like... So can you... So can you communicate with me, right? Yeah. So do you have a boyfriend? No. I'm like, well, you're really pretty and everything. I mean, have you ever... What happens when guys try to talk to you? She really was the prettiest of all the girls I'd seen so far. Mm -hmm. And I I couldn't really judge her on anything. I could only judge her on her looks at that point because I didn't know anything about her. And she said, well, when the guy tries to talk to me, I would put my head down and walk away. I'm like, you don't even respond? She's like, well, no, because if I do... Someone might see me and then tell my folks, and then I'll get beat up. Oh, shit. So that was the story she told me, uh-huh. and I really, like, my heart went out to her. Yeah. Like, oh. I all of a sudden, in my head, I was like, I'm going to be Mr. Captain. Save her. Save her. Save her, right? I need to take I need to take her out of this. I need to take her out of this, you know, whatever, and, and, and bring her to America. And I said, well, you know, in America, you got to work and go to school. Are you okay with that? I guess she told me what I wanted to hear. I go, because I'm going to teach her salary. And if you want to make it, you know, it's important that we're both working. And, you know, if you want to further your education, you probably should. She was only her first year at the university down there. Um, okay. University of South Pacific. She did pretty good because I guess she got a scholarship to oh. get in. Because her family wasn't, you know, poor. I mean, they weren't rich. Sorry, they were, like, really, really poor. So my mom was like, well, you know, I'm from the countryside. We didn't have much. We were poor, too. So my mom saw a lot of herself in this girl. And the weird thing was that we were, you know, we were like 10 years apart. Oh. My parents were 10 years apart. So she was 20 and I was 30. So it was almost like, it was almost like, it sounds weird that I say, like, not a daughter, but I mean, she was 10 years younger than me, you know. There's definitely a lot of time and experiences that happen. Yeah, I grew up here and she grew up there, you know. So... I was almost like her husband, but I was almost in some ways like a father figure too. Mm-hmm. You know, not not seeing daughter, not like to make it all weird or sicko. Like, oh no, but it's just in your twenties you learn so much about right. life and yourself, and then you're marrying that person who hasn't gone through it yet. Right. So now it does kind of become you're like kind a of teacher, helping to mold them, but also. Right? Your husband, yeah. like yeah. it's it's a it, weird. It was yeah. it was a weird it was a weird place to be for me at that time, and it was like I had different experiences growing up in a different country. Mm-hmm. We had our religion in common. We were both Hindu. We had our language in common. That was it. Really, we didn't have much else in common. What about the the caste system? She was actually so she wasn't Brahmin, but she was the next cast down, the warrior cast, like her last name was Singh. So Brahmins and war, uh, the the Shatri, that was her cast. Okay. They intermarried, but then you rarely actually kind of went down. It was okay. Like, How many um, casts are there? Cast, yeah. I don't. I think there's like five or six. Five or six. Something okay. like that. And your cast is determined by your profession. It li- oh, okay. at least it was in ancient India. Um, so like the teachers. And the priests were considered the highest caste. They were born into it. You were just kind of born into it. Mm-hmm. The warrior caste was like royalty, soldiers, and things wow. like that. The warrior caste were allowed, if they were Hindu, they were allowed to eat meat, you know, like outside yeah. of, um, well, I don't know. Oh, so teachers were ranked higher than royalty? Yeah, teachers and... Damn, that sounds nice. That was... Yeah. That sounds about, yeah, okay. And I think back then it was more like an agrarian society, you know, and, and, and when the caste system originally came out, it was like it was like bartering. Like, I'm a teacher, I'm going to teach your kids, and if you're a farmer and you're from the farming caste, 
you're going to give me a sack of rice and some veggies, mm-hmm. you know, in exchange for that. Right. If I was uh, the cobbler cast or the, sh- the, the, the cast that made stuff, mm-hmm. I would cobble your shoes. And if you're the warrior cast, you're going to come and provide me protection for my house or whatever. Yeah. You know, it was kind of like a give and take and exchange. But I think with time and with with colonialism, um, the caste system also got based off of your profession and um well well not just i should i should take that back not based off your profession uh, you were looked upon you were you were defined by your profession mm-hmm. and then also by your skin color okay you yeah. know so i think that came out after colonialism yeah um with so many other people invading india and then the last being the british that were there so her dad barges in we're barely having a conversation 10 minutes in the conversation i didn't even know what flavor ice cream she liked. Um, I told her that if she came to America, she'd have to work if she was okay with that. She knew nothing about America except what she saw on TV or in the movies. Oh, jeez. Her dad walks in, right? And her dad's like, so what's it going to be? He's already calling me son, puts his hand on my shoulder. Oh, what the fuck? Right? And he's <laughs> so like, much pressure. And he's asking me if I want to if I wanna uh, get married now um, and when the wedding's going to be so they can set the date or if I'm just getting engaged here or married here as well, so then they could make, you know, plans. And I says to him, well, and I'm talking about his daughter, like, in the third person, but she's sitting right in front of me. I go, look, I go, of all the girls I've seen so far, Uh your daughter is by far the most beautiful. And, you know, she's, you know, I'd like to get to know her better. And I can't tell you right now, because I need more time. And then, I think here was the kicker. My parents got really upset that I told him this. I go, we got two more places to go, so oh, I can't fuck. give you my final decision yet. <laughs> you figure they know I'm freaking shopping, well, right? Well, yeah. yeah. We'll I mean, it wasn't like I was shopping. That sounds horrible. Is it, it really sounds horrible yeah. to tell somebody that, hey, yo, I'm still shopping. Is it uh, offensive, though, in that culture, if it's known that you quote-unquote shopping and i think it's like so like you if you spent some time in the philippines but you you grew up here now right yes you know if you were to go back and say something being in america we're very blunt and we just say what's on our minds yeah yeah back there even if you know you kind of skirt the issue or you don't say everything right then and there Uh uh-huh you're you're told to kind of keep some stuff to yourself Uh uh-huh you know? Oh, okay. It's yeah, kind of so weird. It's... Like, I didn't know, like, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to tell him that. Yeah. I was like, it's better. My, my policy is just being honest and upfront. Right. You know, yeah. that's where I was with that. But she came here. I exposed her to the culture, you know. So and you ended up getting married. We did. We okay. had a big Hindu wedding. Well, well, we got engaged there. I came here. We had to petition for her to get a visa. This was all before 9-11. Mm-hmm. So... Things were a little different. Yeah, I had to I get her. <laughs> I had to get her a fiance visa, but they did a thorough background check on me. Uh-huh. They wanted to know how much money was in my accounts, and they wanted to have all my W twos for the past five years and stuff like that. Uh-huh. You know, it's just kind of personal stuff. It was funny though. My parents took money out of their four hundred one k and deposited into my accounts to make it look like I had more than I really did because I was on the- a teacher salary. Right. Right. But then once we got married, I mean, once they saw it, and then they took the money out. Yeah, oh, son of a bitch. But it's all good, you know. <laughs> we had this, the wedding was the fun part, though. Honestly, Indian weddings, if you've ever been to them, are a lot of fun. Uh-huh. Mine was a short one. It was only three days. 
Wait, is, you can't say it's a short one. It's only three days. Yeah, because we I've did a never, lot of things together. I've never been, okay. We, we, we squished in a lot of... So Indian weddings are based off a lot of rituals. Mm-hmm. There's a ritual that's done to um, welcome the groom or welcome the bride the week or so before the wedding. Uh, the groom's family or the bride's family goes and takes over gifts for okay. the groom's family or the bride's family. And then they kind of welcome them into the family. They'll give them like maybe a gold chain or... Something like some sort of a token, whatever, yeah. or bracelet. And then the families interact and mingle and like eat together and stuff like that to get to know each other. And then after that, so that's like a week before, there's a bunch of stuff that happens. And then the priest comes over and then they do the whole thing with the, the uh, inviting your ancestors over. Okay. You know, like your, your, your deceased ancestors. Yeah. And uh, tying this like thing on your hand on your wrist and and there they lock your ancestors spirits to be with you to guide and bless you during the event that mm-hmm. nothing catastrophic should happen mm-hmm. um and uh they do a ritual for to appease all the hindu gods starting with ganesh the the hindu god the, mm-hmm. ele- the elephant-headed god oh okay yeah. to avoid any sort of obstacles to keep any obstacles away or anything like that and then it even goes out to ask for the nine planets and the universe and the mother earth and Every living spirit for blessings. Okay. The water, the sky, you know, everything. It was just really, really interesting because I've gone to those, but I never really paid attention until it was my own wedding. Right. Then we have a ceremony where they take the turmeric and the mustard oil, and it's like a cleansing ceremony, and they apply it to you. Oh, okay. It's supposed to lighten your skin, and it's supposed to be an antiseptic. Uh-huh. And so they do that ritual as well with the turmeric and the mustard oil. Yeah. And you said you short. How long does it usually last? If you said you shortened it to three days. Well, some sometimes they can go on for about a week. Oh, okay. We did have people who came from a you know almost well a lot of places. We had family from Canada, from England, from UK, Australia, New Zealand. Um, well, her family was from Fiji, so they were there. They just happened to come because when she got her fiance visa, she got her parents to bring to come. They could stay six months, but then they overstayed their visa. Oh, okay. Yep, it happens. Yeah, no, you know, like wow. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't think they would, but you know, they they found their way to do that. Uh huh. But anyways, yeah. So here I was married to the stranger, and on our wedding night, we couldn't even do anything because the the night of the wedding, this older lady came with her. <laughs> what? This older lady goes with her and she gets to sleep in her room, so she's sleeping on the bed. Or my wife was sleeping on my bed, and this older lady was sleeping on the floor. I guess they gave her like a sleeping bag or whatever. Who's this lady? From some some lady from her family that comes along, and their ritual was that she's supposed to tell her what to expect on your wedding night. Okay. Like what to do. But not in the room. To, not um, during. Not during. Oh, okay. There I was, was gonna night, say. Oh, like, so I was sleeping in another it. room, and she was sleeping in another room. And I guess that's what's supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. And so when her and I finally did get our alone time, Uh I asked her, like, so what did she tell you? Uh She's like, nothing. She's like, she fell asleep. And I fell asleep. (sighs) I was like, useless. Yeah. And she was upset. She actually was really upset that I was not a virgin and she was. Oh, okay. She She was led to believe that. I would have been a virgin. I'm like, well, I'm a 30-year-old guy in America. Yeah, what? I'm not a virgin. What made you think I'd be a virgin? And again, 
coming from her experience, looking back, I think it's funny now, but yeah, yeah, she probably didn't know any better. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, it was just like uh, that. That really didn't work, and we were there for a couple of years, uh, staying with my folks, and we moved out to Arizona. Um, but until we were like the first couple of years were pretty good, I'd say. Yeah. Marriage wise. Yeah, and we were talking before I, I hit record, and um, the last few times we we were texting, uh, you brought up how you're studying Buddhism, right? right. And, and then yeah. you said how this marriage kind of led to your journey. Right. So could you share a little bit about that? Sure. So we came out to Arizona. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted her to be around people that were just like her, but I really didn't have a lot of common with a lot of these people. Um, she got her green card while we were still in, the, in, in San Francisco. We came out here and four and a half, Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Four years later, she became a citizen. Okay. Six months of the date, she became a citizen. She filed for divorce. Pretty much cleaned out the house, took whatever she could take. Took out a home equity line of credit on the house we bought. Okay. And uh, basically left me for broke, you know, maxed out credit cards. Yeah. Everything. So she... To just use you to get basically, the citizens. and then brought her family like, yeah. over. So uh, and then she she made up a lot of stories about me that weren't true, and spread it among the community, or the community of people that we were around, to the point where people would look at me, and, you know, judge me based on what they told her and not on how they knew who I was. Yeah. And I just stopped really hanging around these people. I used to be really active in the Indian community. I would go and do the temples and do like these. You know, religious things and whatever. Uh-huh. So I just, I kind of got away from all that. And I found Buddhism. It was so funny because I went out one night. Because after I got divorced, I was kind of a hermit. I didn't want to be around anybody and just mm-hmm. wanted to be to myself. I did go out one night and I met I met a girl. I really did. Um, and we were talking. And I thought she was way out of my league, man. She was blonde, blonde hair and blue eyes. Uh-huh. I'd never been with a white chick anyway. And I was like, wow, no wonder she, she sees in me. Uh-huh. And her name was Elise. E-L-I-S-E. Okay. I'll never forget. And we were hanging out. Um, at the. We met at the Phoenix City Grill. And if you ever know, it's on 16th and um, 16th Street. I don't think I've been to it. Probably seen it though, right? Yeah, here, I'm Under sure. by Bethany. Something like that. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. So sure I, see it. I was there. She was there. We met. And, um, you know, she said, hey, I want to go to this Buddhist event. You want to come with me? And, of course, I said, yeah, because oh, yeah. she's like, they have a Buddhist center, like, off the I-51 in, like, Glendale. I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. And I just thought, Buddhist center, so we're going to meditate, you know? I brought, uh-huh. I took my, like, I took a yoga mat. I actually <laughs> went and bought a yoga mat. And I showed up, like, in my Indian clothes. Uh-huh. Oh, no, here's the thing, though. The day we were supposed to go, the week we were, the Wednesday we were supposed to go, she texted me and said that she was having some work done on her roof and that she couldn't make it. And she said she'd be there the following Wednesday. But mm. she gave me the directions. I'm like, okay, I'll wait for you and we'll go the next Wednesday. The next Wednesday comes and she said, yeah, I'll be there. But then she never shows up. But then she falls off the face of this earth. Like, oh, she fucking ghosted you. But I think looking back, she might have been the bodhisattva that took me there or my like Buddha angel or whatever. It was kind of weird like how all that happened because it was almost like she was never really here. Mm -hmm. But 
she may have taken some form to lead me where I needed mm-hmm. to go. Yeah. So I go to this Buddhist center, right? Yoga mat in hand, and I'm all dressed in like my Indian, like comfy PJ looking yeah, outfit. Yeah. She's like, I'm going to go meditate. <laughs> and I go there, and there's this big scroll, and it's all written in like Japanese. Mm-hmm. And they're sitting there, and they're they they hit the gong and they're going nam yo horenge kyo nam yo horenge kyo I'm like oh I remember this from that what's love got to do with it with Tina Turner Buddhism. oh gosh yeah when Ike was beating her ass and yeah. her friend introduces her to Buddhism I'm like oh this is the Tina Turner Buddhism and that's uh-huh. all I knew about it yeah so they they were really cool they were like hey so who'd you come with who 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 brought you here I'm like well I'm waiting for my friend and I described her and like no one knew who the fuck she was. I've never seen her. But I didn't think they would because she said, I've never been. That's what she told me. Mm -hmm. So I figured maybe she had never been, you know. I said, well, she told me she was interested in coming. So I don't know who she knew who was here. Mm -hmm. And I just, when I heard them chant and when they practiced the daily recitation of the prayer, recitation of the prayers, there's one you say in the morning and one in the evening. And it's in Japanese and the Japanese that they spoke in the 12th century or 13th century. And then there's English translations underneath. But it's a Japanese form of Buddhism, and you're chanting, Nam yo ho renge kyo. And basically what that is, that through the power of your voice, you offer um, respect to the universal law of cause and effect. Okay. So... Basically, for every cause, there's an effect, right? And basically, it's trying to get in rhythm with the universe Mm -hmm. through chanting and um, making the impossible possible in your life. Mm -hmm. And um, at that point, I was in my life condition was really low. Um, I'd gone through a lot of crap with her. She tried to get me to die, so her family was using witchcraft and stuff like that. Yeah. She got really evil and what? really cray cray. That's another podcast. Oh yeah, okay. We yeah, that's you have to come be, back. That's gonna be another we're gonna podcast because you yeah. guys are gonna freak. That one might freak out a lot of your listeners. No, it, um, yeah, we'll have you back. That's but that was another one. So I was at a very low, and then I had lost my job, and I had gotten a DUI. There was a lot of things that had happened, mm-hmm. um, and I, I I granted that you know I'm responsible for the decisions I made and the choices I made, but. At the same time, I was I was not where I wanted to be in life and things, and I felt like a failure in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but finding this uh, practice it helped me. The people there were so open, so nice. Uh, they would chant with me, invite me to chant with them. Um, help uh, through chanting and stuff like that. I was able to get the kind of job I wanted at the time, um, and uh, pretty much changed my life. It's one of the easiest things to do is to chant, but one of the hardest things to do at the same time because even though it's not regimented, it all comes back to you. Mm -hmm. There's no specific amount of time you have to chant or read from the prayer book, Um, but it's something you have to do day and night Mm -hmm. to stay in rhythm with the universe. And I notice if I don't do it, I get like off rhythm. Mm -hmm. Um, It's called SGI Buddhism or Soka Gakkai International. Okay. And it's based out of Japan. Um... They don't have like a Dalai Lama or nothing like that. It's very different. It's not like Tibetan Buddhism. Mm -hmm. Um, They believe that he was a Buddha incarnate. Uh, The guy, his name was Nishirin Daishonin. Mm -hmm. And when he passed away, um, there was the writings of Nishirin Daishonin where they based a lot of the Buddhist practice from off of his writings and things like that. 
he had been tried to, they were trying to assassinate him, and so many times he had survived, and he, a lot of predictions he made for what was going on in Japan at that time. So many of those predictions had come true. And he talks about corruptness and with politics, which you can see today. Of course, yeah. And things that were happening back there, you know, with the climate and, and, and the people, a lot of things we can still mm. relate to in our daily lives. Um, it's been a great practice, and the people there are really really supportive and it's like a whole new family to me yeah um they also teach you to kind of forgive and know that everyone in your life has a buddha nature what is what does that mean a buddha nature so yeah. like people don't know that they have an inner buddha so shakamuni buddha the original buddha mm-hmm. you know he said i'm i'm an ordinary person i'm not like special i don't have special powers or whatever yeah he was just in tune to his nature his true nature of who himself who he who he is himself so what that teaches you is people in your lives good or bad negative or positive they all have that buddha nature our job is to have that compassion and to know to have the right speech the right thought the right mentality and take the right actions in our in our lives you know part of it is being mindful mm-hmm. um so it's, so it's really it, so Buddha nature is your your, your true self. Your true self, oh, your true okay. nature. Whether that be good or bad. Well, whether you're good or, or bad as a person, everyone's a Buddha. Oh, is okay. what they're trying to say. Yeah. Is that we're all here to play? Everyone's like playing a role, right? It's mm. like in theater. It's like yeah. in acting. All the world's a stage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're all in Basically, it. we're all playing our roles, and we play multiple roles, and we can go through. There's different worlds. So in Buddha, in Buddhism, there's no per se heaven and hell. Well, there is, but the way in 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 SGI Buddhism, there's ten worlds, Whoa, and shit. you can go through all ten worlds and still be a Buddha. So you can have a moment of elation and joy, and then you can go through depression, and you can feel sad, and you can feel happy, and you can run the gamut of emotions in one day. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, but you can know still be that Buddha. In the different worlds that you exist in, so heaven and hell is not outside yourself. Uh-huh. It's all here and in this lifetime. You know what I mean? If that makes my sense. mind is exploding. <laughs> so no, I no in a good way. So the worlds would that the like worlds, emotions like the world. So are, there's a world of like animality. Mm-hmm. There's a world of hunger, like hungry spirits. Like if you're longing for something. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the lower worlds, right? The lower worlds are more sensory oriented. Mm-hmm. And then there's the higher worlds. The higher world is like when you are more, um, gosh, I'm going to say like when you, you feel more, um, more um, in tune with yourself. Like there's a world of the voice hearers. Like when certain people come into your lives and you needed to hear something from somebody, you might have thought you had a problem and then someone else says something to and you. And it validated. Yeah, and oh, it okay. validates you. You know what I mean? So it's like that. And then just having that Buddha nature, that's that enlightenment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if I brought it with me, I could kind of like go through it with you. But basically they're saying that we run the gamut in our in our daily lives of heaven and hell mm-hmm. right and in any one moment they call it 3,000 moments 3,000 three, uh, there's 3,000 things that can happen 
the 3,000 possibilities at every at every minute in your life. Mm-hmm. Like, so many things can happen in, yeah. in a blink of an eye. Mm-hmm. And I think by chanting and uh, getting in touch with your Buddha nature, too, you just make a good cause for yourself. Okay. And uh, you, you know, you can actually change your karma. And, and one thing... If you could take anything away from this is that you have the ability to change your karma. You're not stuck in your karma. Mm-hmm. If you don't like where you are, you can you can change it. Yeah. You're not, you know, you can, you can make good causes um, to have a better tomorrow and a better future. Right. So with that, uh, hmm, I have so many questions. I th- with the at peace, what, what do you get the most um, out of what what in your personal life has changed through since since, since your journey with Buddhism that, that you oh. that you've noticed yeah well I figure it's it's made me more grounded mm-hmm. not that I I wasn't before I think well Buddhism and Hinduism are very similar philosophy wise um but with Buddhism, there's three tenets to SGI Buddhism anyway. And I can only talk about SGI Buddhism because there's different variants of Buddhism. Yeah. Um, SGI Buddhism talks about faith, practice, and study. And having faith in, in your Buddha nature, uh, faith in mankind, faith in yourself, faith in change, and sometimes substituting courage for faith if you, you know... You have to have the courage to overcome fears and objections and obstacles in your life. Um, in my personal life, it just makes me more grounded mm-hmm. because I have that faith and I can substitute courage for faith or vice versa. Uh, practice is our daily practice. It's also uh, getting together with other members and sharing our experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, participating in activities and things like that. And then study. Uh, what I like about it, because when you're studying, it always keeps it fresh for you. We have a monthly magazine that comes out here in the U.S. called Living Buddhism. And then we have a what's called like a World Tribune, which is like an addendum. It's like a, a newspaper that also people share their experiences in there. And we get together and we study the writings. Um, it's called a Gosho, G-O-S-H-O. A Gosho. Okay. So it's just Japanese. like So Daily Gosho, basically, it's like... Uh, like daily affirmations and stuff like that and um it just uh if you practice if you practice correctly you will find yourself more grounded and stuff you ask for really does happen for you um stuff that you may ask for you may not get right away it's because you weren't ready for it or this wasn't your time Mm -hmm. um Sometimes you get more than you ask for and in a good way and sometimes you get a lot of benefits in the beginning when you start practice Practicing, I should say, but later on, you know, it can get really challenging. Um, it's like when you turn on a garden hose, mm-hmm. if you haven't turned it on for a long time, yeah. and the first thing that's going to come out is all the crap, uh-huh. right? All the dead leaves and the bugs and whatever that's settled in there for yeah. the past six, seven uh-huh. months or whatever. The practice is the same way. You're doing a total inner cleansing in a way. Yeah. Karma cleansing. Yeah. So in first, you're going to get all the shit coming out. Yeah. Don't mind. I'm sorry. Uh, you're fine. This is a, no, it's for kids. Oh. <laughs> no, just kidding. 
So all the crap, all the crap's gonna come out. You can at say first. shit. It's fine. All the crap, all the shit's gonna come out at uh-huh. first, right? Crap and but shit. But then later on, it clears just, up. It yeah. clears up. So when you scroll, when you chant to the Gohonzon, the Gohonzon is basically a scroll, and in the middle of the scroll it says Nam Yoho Renge Kyo, and around it is the different life conditions or the ten worlds. And apparently, there's the three Buddhas are represented on there. There's a Buddha of the ten directions, north, uh-huh. south, east, west, and then the directions in between, uh-huh. north, east, south, like that. So there's a Buddha of the ten directions. There's a Shakyamuni Buddha, and the Buddha of uh, it's called the Many Treasures Buddha. Okay. So the Many Treasures Buddha, um, I guess it's more like in, in the sense of material, um, yeah. but also they talk about the different types of treasures you can acquire in this lifetime. Uh, but the most important of the treasures you can get is the treasure of your heart. Mm-hmm. It talks about that. Um, but for me personally, going back to what you were saying, um, this Buddhism has kept me really grounded uh-huh. and focused. Yeah. Um, it's really, it's really been interesting. Yeah. Was yeah. there was there any pushback uh, from, from family? your family because you were raised Hindu? Because no, when I, I was no, raised really. um, Christian Catholic and. Yeah. Uh, in the Philippines, and um, <laughs> through life experiences, I I I don't ascribe to that. I, I right. think I would be more um, agnostic now. Um, and it was a huge uh, shock to my mom when oh, yeah. she asked, "Are you going to baptize the baby?" And I said, "No, oh. we're not." But I raised you Catholic. Catholic right. I said, "But I'm not, mom." Like it, she, I could tell her mind exploded. Like, how could I not believe in God uh, and then not baptize him? And so, um, and I, I know uh, Serena is going to have that awkward conversation with her family whenever it's brought up because she hasn't told them because they're they religious. Catholic? As, yeah, I'm Catholic or Christian. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm fuzzy on what's the difference, uh, but it's, you know, Jesus and uh, Virgin Mary and stuff. But uh, so they're, they're going to have that awkward conversation sometime. Um, her and her mom, because she's super religious. And there was a, we were in Tucson last weekend, mm-hmm. and the baby was throwing a fit, like he was just crying. And um, her mom, I know she has good intentions. She got, ho- ho- she got holy water and oh, holy like water. did the the cross thing all over his body. Uh-huh. And in my body, I was like, I don't want you to do that. But you know, I want to be respectful. It's her house. It's my mother in law, right? So. Um, what was the pushback from your family, if if they know? No, they know. Uh, okay. They know. Actually, when my mom was out visiting, I brought I took her to the Buddha Center. The same day, we went to the Hindu temple to get my car blessed and everything. Oh, cool. Is you know, so she they were totally open to it. Um, see, the thing about Buddhism and Hinduism, I think at the time Buddhism came out um, in India because Buddha was from India. Well, Nepal technically, but. Um, he traveled throughout India as well, spreading okay. Buddhism. Funny thing about Buddhism, it didn't stick around in India as much as you would think it would have with all the followers it accrued. Um, most of the, most of the Buddhists today you see are like in Asia, South Asia, right. Southeast Asia, like China, Japan, you yeah. know, places like that. Um, so in India at the time, it was interesting. When Buddhism came out, a lot of Hindus, to keep other Hindus to, from converting and leaving the practice of Hinduism to becoming Buddhist, would say that, hey, Buddha is just another reincarnation of the Hindu god Vishnu. 
Okay. So a lot of Hindus actually look upon Buddha as a reincarnation of Vishnu. And every reincarnation that God like comes on earth, whatever, in it in our Hindu practice is for is a reason, like for a practice like uh, so the Hindu god Vishnu, for example, he came in the form of the Prince Ram, mm-hmm. which from the which is from the book where the Ramayana is based off of. Okay. And so he was a Hindu prince and he was banished to the forest for 14 years. And not because he did anything wrong, but because he wanted to keep his uh, promise that uh, a vow that the king had made to his wife. And when the wife said, you can, uh, the king said to his wife, you can ask me for anything. She's like, banish your son. And so okay. because she didn't want him to become king and she thought that her and her son would become slaves and everything you know mm-hmm. so the story in that was that you know you have a duty you have a duty to yourself you have a duty to society and you have a duty to your family so in that one and then there was krishna krishna was another avatar of vishnu you probably know about Krishna from the blue color and the Harry Krishnas yeah. that you might see in the airport selling yeah. you books and giving you flowers and stuff yes. like that. Um, so Krishna's whole thing was, that was based off the Bhagavad Gita, the, the Gita book, where he believes you have to stand up and fight for what's right for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, take responsibility for your own life. So a lot of things, a lot of Buddhism kind of talks about a lot of that same stuff. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know... So Ram was about duty. Krishna was about fighting for yourself, speaking up for your rights, to never back down. And then with Buddha, Buddha was took a very different spin. Buddha was all about nonviolence and peace. Mm-hmm. Resolve it, you know, settle it um, nonviolently, peacefully. And with Buddha was a lot of inner reflection. There's a lot of inner, you know, reflecting going on with that. Um, so it, it's brought me a lot of peace. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and just being okay and non-judgmental, and just yeah. let things happen. And like with Trump, can I bring in Trump? For oh, example? I was just about to ask you, um, how second. would uh, Buddha, um, <laughs> Look at Trump. Whatever, whatever form, yeah, how the non-violent? So, so yeah, that's been a big thing at our at our at our center. It's been brought up, you know. Um, there are some Buddhists who are Trump supporters, which for what? the life of me, <laughs> what? I can't see that, right? Like, how could you? But then there's some of us that are like, the hell? And then the way they resolved that was we didn't want a political party to divide us by our spiritual practice. And they say, if you look back to your spiritual practice and your teachings, what the Buddha teaches is because everyone has a Buddha nature, mm-hmm. Trump has a Buddha nature. Oh, Regardless, okay. the fact that he has a Buddha nature, he's here to teach us a lesson. He's in power. The universe may not have put him in power. Maybe the Russians did. You uh-huh. know, we don't know yet. We're trying to still figure that out. However, the point that they were trying to make is we have to approach him. Um, we have to approach it with like, okay, the universe is trying to teach us a lesson. Right? And oh, it's okay. causing us to wake up to our own Buddha nature. Mm-hmm. So, so maybe we need to chant more. That's for sure. <laughs> chant more and louder. Uh, <laughs> exactly. So, would it would Buddha nature mean everyone has so a, your has a purpose? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. so Trump. So his as, purpose is to probably him. awaken our oh, true I nature. Get it. So I you get know it. our compassion and to maybe see 
you know, open our eyes to what's going wrong in this world right now. Yeah. Um, you see with a lot of the hate crimes and uh-huh. a lot of his supporters, um, you know, there's hope for them, basically. Uh-huh. So that, it, it, that it's okay for them to be that way. Well, they think it's okay for well, them to be that well, way. Yeah, yeah, they think. But it's our job as Buddhists. And even, and it's been kind of rough because, you know, you don't want to mis- mix religion and politics, obviously. Yeah. But, and Buddhism is more, it's more of a practice. I don't want to say, I say it's religion, but it's more philosophy than religion. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people who took up the practice that are agnostic because it works for them. Okay. Because it's not like really preachy, preachy. Yeah. You know, kind of deal. There's no, there's no, no heaven and hell concept. All that heaven and hell is right here right now in the yeah. present mm-hmm. yeah so That's... that kind of works if you're agnostic too it works for you because and it's one of those practices that hey if it does try it out if you don't like it it's okay give it 90 days yeah yeah you know? and then return it no <laughs> just kidding uh so yeah even with trump it's been it's been really interesting um you know it, it's, it's hard to say though like with the, with the practice we just have to have compassion and see things from a, from our own Buddha nature, and know that inside that everyone has that compassionate nature. Yeah, they probably just haven't tapped into it yet. Yeah, and I, Trump because he's so much into himself. Uh huh. <laughs> you know, I don't. I think I think he would even throw his family under the bus if he could. I I could see that. So then I would. Okay. So with that, I wasn't very. Um, I would say that's one of the few. I almost throw up right now good things about Trump being a president is I wasn't really involved in in politics. Right. Like, I didn't read shit. And then Obama got a, a cool Obama. Um, and then Trump won. And then so now I'm angry but also motivated to learn right. more stuff. So, uh, so which is I, a good thing. Right? Yeah, so then I, I see that now if, if I'm... Kind of in the ballpark of what what Buddha is with so Buddhism finding is the trying purpose to see the, po- or find the, the positive, looking at the positive yeah. of every situation. Yeah. So um, so the positive, if you can see any positive of Trump being president now, I don't even, God, I didn't even acknowledge him as Trump. I just call him forty five. Yeah, I yeah. I just call him forty five. You For, know, or because it's not even. Yeah, Serena and I, we we started going to marches. Yeah. I start. Um, I'm trying to talk to more people and trying to get some ideas. And it, I've noticed it becomes hard, though, when you, mainly uh, Trump supporters, um, when I think we need to have these open talks. We do. But then it just, it's a butting of heads, and then it's, it, it's closing off. And it's because for the Trump supporters, he can do no wrong. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And that's like, come on. Yeah. Seriously? Yeah. And it, especially when you present facts, and it, it's just so strange, and then they don't accept it. It's, they exactly. somehow backpedal, and it goes around. Um, I really liked what you said about the, the, the treasures with your being your heart. Yeah, um, so there talks about different types of treasures. There's a treasure, like there's a material treasure, right? Mm-hmm. Money and all that. And, and, and this form of Buddhism isn't like the kind of Buddhism where it says, hey, just... Don't worry about all that material stuff. This Buddhism says, hey, no, it's okay to chant for money or chant for something that you need. But not only chant, 
but take action towards it. Yeah. You know, so if you sit there and pray for something, it's not going to just come to you until you actually take the initiative to do something. But again, it it talks to you about having courage. So make a goal, Mm -hmm. chant about it, and go for it. Yeah. You know, have the faith to know that it'll happen. Yeah. Or maybe what you're chanting for, you'll get way much more than what you thought. Yeah. I was trying to find, an, uh, because what you brought up is so interesting, one of my f- uh, members, uh, he flipped off a Trump guy. Uh-huh. Uh, I guess he was passing by in downtown Phoenix, and he was a Trump supporter, uh-huh. and he flipped him off or something, and he said he got so angry, and one of the other persons posted on his page on Facebook about what the Buddha would have done, uh-huh. and I wish I could find it. I was reading it yesterday, but I thought that's so interesting, and she did mention something about the compassion about we need to have compassion mm-hmm. but if anything it has opened our eyes yeah do you know what I mean yeah. and it's made, made people like yourself and others more politically aware uh huh um and it's a good thing I think I think Trump is here to if there's a good, if a lesson we can be learned from that is to um we should number one be more involved yeah yeah Definitely. Be more informed, yeah. Be more informed. And um, and don't back down. Yeah. You know, it's just all my life I've been here. I've never seen anything like this. And you'll talk to a lot of the older people. They're like, we've never seen anything like this. I think closest we've probably seen is Watergate. Uh-huh. And I remember when I first came to the U.S. about Watergate, I was probably like four years old. I remember watching it on the news. But um, this is uh, something, what's going on right now. In the government, I mean, in the White House is beyond Watergate. It's that so just, nuts. That trumps Watergate. Yeah. Tr- <laughs> tr- okay. If I can say you that. You did it. Was, um, so we usually end every episode. Um, or did you want to say anything else about um, Buddhism? I know even though I'm not um, religious or ascribed to uh, a certain uh, philosophy like that, I guess... Um, there were a few times, so I'm an actor and I'd be so hard on myself if I didn't get into something or if I wasn't winning an Oscar at age whatever and I'd see this guy winning on TV. Right. Um, and I'd really beat myself up on that. And then, um, I made peace with myself in that I love acting. So I, that's all it should be. It shouldn't be about awards or about my status as long as I'm doing it. And I felt something change in my mentality once I figured that out. And then I was cool. I was done. Um, So we usually end each episode with uh, questions. Are you ready? Yeah. Oh, oh, real quick, I can tell you what this person oh, said. Oh, here we go. You found it. Yeah, real quick. I'll, I'll be real short. So I'm not going to mention his name because I don't want to, but he just said, I flipped off some Trump supporter at a protest this afternoon on Camelback. This was on the 8th. Directly in their face, the punk-ass rebel in me is still alive. And he's a Buddhist practitioner. Mm-hmm. And so one of the persons posted, I have been there and it takes a lot of compassion and a high life condition to deal with these types of individuals who are truly misguided and ignorant to basic human dignity in every life. Mm -hmm. Because that's the other thing about being an SGI Buddhist is we look for, if everyone has a Buddha nature, then 
you know, everyone deserves basic human dignity, mm-hmm. despite their race and their color and everything. However, if we can remember, even though it's difficult, every single one of them has a Buddha nature, and they are playing a certain function in society and in our lives. That being said, it is so infuriating and difficult, easier just to flip them off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it definitely is. That that anger into just... It is. It is, it it is, is. just easier, and it's hard to... And I see that with my kids that I teach. Yeah. Like, it's way easier for them to just hit the kid and take the blocks than to figure out, well, you get two blocks, I'll get two blocks. Two blocks, right. And it's... God, that's fucking hard. And it's hard to... to and how was that as a teacher? I mean, like, you're dealing with that. I mean, do your kids have views on Trump? I'm sure they do, right? Oh, Trump shit. Yeah. Um, so, um, so last year when the election was happening, I had a couple kids who were Trump supporters just on their family, right? They oh, don't know. Right. It's yeah. just what their parents tell them. And so when Trump won, there was like two or three that were super happy the next day. And everybody was pissed. Um, a few days ago, we were talking about Harry Potter. The kids are super into Harry Potter now. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we, we asked them <coughs> questions to get them to verbalize their thoughts. And so one of the kids was saying how Harry Potter isn't really liked by a lot of people. There's, there's Draco Malfoy and so on. There's all these people who don't like him. And so he said, but he's the good guy in the book? And they said, yeah, he's the good guy. We, he, a lot of people don't like him, though. How can he be the good guy? And one of the girls said, um, well, Trump is a bad guy, and a lot of people picked him to be president. And so I died when she said that because she recognizes, and I talked to her mom about it. Mm-hmm. Um, she just said, Mommy, why is that guy so angry? Right. And it, it's just so apparent the negativity that comes off of him. Right. And, um... A few of them, yeah, they voiced a couple of times, like, oh, Trump is that guy who says bad things. Um, yeah. But they they do kind of struggle to understand why he's president then. And it's... So it's, how someone, yeah, like that. It, so it's, it's hard to teach my kids to be fair and kind, and then they see that, and they're like, well, he's the top guy in the country. Right. And he's not kind. So then I have to up my game, I guess. That, right. That's that brand new purpose. of I have to figure out a better way to teach them um, Yeah, to no, be kind be, to each it other. It must be a hard time to be a teacher right now, especially under this new administration where you're trying to set a good example. Yeah, mm-hmm. We have a president that makes fun of the disabled mm-hmm. and um, you know calls Mexicans rapists. Uh-huh. And, criminals and you know and and he's okay with you know white nationalists and stuff Uh like that so yeah it's not okay yeah so it's it's definitely a struggle and um i'm i'm afraid for these these kids who whose parents are trump supporters i know it doesn't necessarily mean they will become trump supporters it's just now they have that extra level to try to break through um yeah, it's tough. Uh, so we have these questions. Okay, awesome. All right. I think, um, yep, we're going to get kicked out of this room soon. Uh, does What do you think of with the word fate? Like, what's your view on fate? F-A-T-E? Yeah. Fate, fate for me, sometimes can be mistaken for karma. Mm-hmm. So, like in Hinduism, I can I can go back to that. That's what I know. Yeah, yeah. In Hinduism, 
you this was your fate. This was your kismet. Kismet or kismet is mm. how the English pronunciation. But you know, you're destined to just this is your destiny and this is it, your fate. But in Buddhism, in the Buddhism that I practice, you can change your fate or your karma. Mm -hmm. You know, in Hinduism, yeah, you go pray to this god, go pray to that god. Do it's like Catholicism. Go to this for so many days. Yeah, like well, you have the saints in Catholicism, right? Uh -huh. Light a candle, yep. do a novena, yeah, ten hail marys, uh -huh. you're good. Confession. You know, whatever yeah. confession. So Hinduism's the same way. Light a light a lamp, burn some incense, offer some fruit, go you know feed the homeless, which. It's a good thing to do anyway, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I mean, um, and then maybe maybe you can change your fate, but it's not guaranteed. And if it doesn't happen, it wasn't meant to be. In Buddhism, okay. it's kind of like, yeah, hey, you can change your karma or your fate. Mm -hmm. um, so there's something you want, chant for it, make a goal, take action. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't happen, maybe it wasn't meant to be right now, but it doesn't mean it's not going to happen for you later. Okay. Three important words in Buddhism, and I guess you can apply it to fate. Never give up. Uh -huh. You can overcome your fate. Oh, fuck yeah. Um, what is the most annoying habit that other people have? That just annoys the shit out of you. Annoying habit. Oh, man. Put me on the spot here. Uh, there's a lot of things that I find. <laughs> just yeah. one thing? Um, top five. Whatever. Well, like working. So I work in, you know, at a college and I'm um, an online. I, I, I'm a uh, financial aid planner. Uh -huh. at an online school so we don't normally actually see our students because they're all online so a lot of communicating we do is on Skype or um, through email or whatever you know uh, phone calls and things like that texting students uh, I think the most annoying thing sometimes is like when I'll have my coworkers they'll have their headsets on and they'll be like so loud and they're not knowing that they're loud uh -huh. or um, sometimes you have those uh, coworkers that are like really into your business or maybe they're giving a, giving you a, a lot of TMI about their business uh -huh. that no one needs to really know. Yeah. That can be kind of annoying and sometimes it's I feel like it's rude to for me to butt in and tell them not to do that because I don't want to create any right contention at work. Yeah, so, yeah. I don't know. Um how do you hope you'll change as a person in the future? So you've, you've talked about how you've become more grounded. I, I feel like life right now for me, as for everybody, is in transition. We're in a constant change of flux, you know, mm -hmm. in a constant change, uh, flux and everything. And so I feel that um, I may not be where I want to be right now, mm -hmm. uh, but it's not that I'm not going to get there. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've learned, I think, to not really judge myself, to kind of be nicer to me. Mm -hmm. I kind of ha you have to be if you can't yeah. be nice to yourself who can you be nice to yeah you gotta start with you right uh, um, last one what keeps you up at night what do you spend <laughs> all night thinking about since the election like, fuck, man. oh yeah well that's an easy one alright <laughs> thanks everybody no I'm just kidding <laughs> well, since the election right like hell are we going to war uh, oh, is, is a bomb man. going off no sometimes it's just oh. like with work um, work keeps me up I've I've um Taken up another position where we have a lot of a uh, lot more responsibility now, and sometimes I'm sending out the calculations for their financial aid to my students, and I'm just wondering, hey, did I miss out? Did I have to go back and check? Did I do this right or something like that? You know, because that's their money that they're dealing what we're dealing right. with. Right. And um, I always want to like. Sometimes I seem to doubt myself, but 
more times than not, I'm I'm right. Yeah. But I was always that like, I can get nervous sometimes. Like, oh man, did I do this right? I'm like, I reflect on what I did today. Uh huh. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna have to go back tomorrow and just double check my numbers and stuff yeah. like that. Kind of keeps me up sometimes. Um, I know it probably shouldn't because I'm at, I'm not there, so it's not in my control at that moment. Yeah. I need to work. I need to do better at working about that. Um, just taking on a lot of responsibility right now and trying to do other people's work as well as well as trying to maintain mine. Right. It's been stressing me out a little bit. I just need to take some melatonin and go to bed. I, I, guess. Do, I, I do that too. <laughs> no, it knocks me the hell out. The gummies. The, oh, so I, I take the pill. The but, pills. Yeah. The gummies you can get them for four ninety seven at Target. Yeah. Like for. Thing 140 good. but you see the weirdest works. dreams though they i do feel the way most different freaking dreams so i do i'll do like one <laughs> night i won't take it and then another night i'll take one and then yeah. another night i'll take two and there's such a difference with each thing and so that's why i don't do every single night because i'm like i don't think i can handle this life of just these crazy dreams and just like i wake up like I came from a different universe. Why don't you like wake up refreshed though? I yeah, for the most part. I mean, it's different now that the with the baby, but yeah. before that, yeah, it, I was super um, refreshed for the most part. Yeah, because your body naturally produces it. Yeah. One night I took two melatonins and I went to bed. I was super tired, uh-huh. and I literally I slept through my alarm like today. <laughs> but I didn't take melatonin last night. So funny thing is, I got up, I went to work. I'm like. Yeah, you know, I'm late. And you know what? I OD'd on my melatonin. Yeah, yeah. I was supposed to take two. I actually took four gummies because I was super tired. And I said, I told him I saw the most lucid dreams. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Yeah, it's fucking nuts. It is. Yeah. All right. So anyway. Thank you for doing this, bro. We'll have you back. I feel like we we scratched a lot of the surface and then... Uh, yeah, but if you guys, we'll, we'll if you guys go, want to hear about my exorcism sometimes. Hell yeah. And the witchcraft yeah, shit we, I went through. Yeah, oh, yeah, fuck yeah. Well, we're gonna shit. we're gonna go eat. So thanks for doing this, bro. Yeah, okay, yeah, sweet. Sure. Yeah.